All right, Joshua chapter 6 tonight. By the way, before we dive in, it just was reminding, uh, reminded me, too, that, and this was true, it's been true for the last couple of weeks, both on Sunday and Tuesday, and I'm sure this is true across the board, just the whole area. We just have a lot of people who are sick right now. Uh, a lot of a lot of families going through sickness and doing the whole passing the sickness around type of thing. So just be in prayer that uh, that folks get healthy. Uh, it was so great to see so many new uh, first time visitors at church on uh, Sunday. That was really encouraging. More and more people are finding out about the Oasis. Uh, but we had a lot of regulars that just were under the weather, and we've got more tonight that are just not feeling well, and uh, just need to remember each other in prayer. Uh, for whatever reason, at this time of the year, it just seems like we're really having a, a wave of, of illness sweeping through the, the valley. All right, Joshua chapter 6. Before we dive into this, again, let's be reminded that the book of Joshua, and we're not going to go beyond this at this point, but... At some point, we'll come back and finish up the book of Joshua. But the book of Joshua is all about going further with God than we've ever been before. The promised land is illustrative of of going beyond in our walk with God where we've ever gone before. To experience God at a deeper and higher level. And though God wants to call all of us to that, God is reminding us here in this book that it's not going to be without opposition or obstacles. That there are going to be battles we're going to have to fight in order to gain new territory with God. And there's going to be obstacles in our way. And we've already seen that with the Jordan River. And now tonight we come to Jericho. The next sort of great obstacle that stands in the way of the children of Israel going further with God than they've ever been before. And as we talk about this tonight, just be thinking about, is there right now some obstacle in my way that's preventing me from drawing closer to God and from going further with God in my life? Uh, Be encouraged tonight that just as God put the walls of Jericho down flat, God will take away any obstacle in our lives that is preventing us from getting closer to Him. And God will take away any opposition. He will fight our battles for us, as we have seen. And so, let's be encouraged tonight as we look at this. Now, first of all, I want to look at this from the perspective of the Israelites. I want to talk for just a moment about Jericho, because that's the second word in verse 1. Now, Jericho. Jericho. Remember, was sort of the gateway to the highlands. If, if they wanted to ascend up into the mountains... They had to get through Jericho. And so it's a beautiful picture of, you know, going higher and again and going further with God. And in order to get up into the highlands and go higher, they had to get through Jericho. The other thing about Jericho that that you don't find here, but if you study history about Jericho, Jericho was a very formidable city. It was a fortress. It had two walls. It wasn't just one wall, it had two walls. And those walls were separated by about 15 feet, and they were very high, and they were very thick. So you can imagine normal, conventional, you know, thing. Uh, How are we going to even get past the first wall and knock it down 
and then get past the second wall. Now, we know, and if you've read this already, you know God had this all figured out, see? But looking at it from a human perspective, it's like, wow. And it reminds us again, remember when God took the Israelites over the Jordan River? It was purposefully at flood stage. It was purposefully at the highest stage The water was at a torrent, if you will, because God wanted his people to see and to understand that he could take them through the very strongest of waters. He could take them through the very deepest of waters. And that he can knock down the very strongest of obstacles in their way. The things that, that we look at as human impossibilities are always opportunities in our life for God to show himself strong. And we see that in the book of Joshua. We see that in our lives. When we come up against things that are too big for us, it's at those moments that we can say, but it's not too big for God. And we just need to trust God that he's going to take us through this. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Joshua. Now, from the people that lived in Jericho's perspective, notice it goes on to say in verse 1, now Jericho was shut tightly because of the Israelites. Literally, those words in the Hebrew mean to be closed in or imprisoned. And we know why, because up to this point, we have seen that the Bible said that these people were afraid because they'd heard about what the God of Israel had done for the Israelites up to this point. And they were shaking in their shoes. And so they were afraid. And so the Bible says nobody could go in. They didn't leave anybody out or whatever. They were closed in and they were imprisoned. Now, we know it was for a good cause because... In a sense, God was going to turn this over to the Israelites. But I want to take a moment and and be reminded of a lesson, too, for us, that this is why God doesn't want us to live in fear. Because when you and I live with fear rather than by faith, our lives will begin to close in and we will, in a sense, be our own prisoners. And, and I can speak to that because all of you that know my story, my testimony about how for years I struggled with fear and anxiety, how my life began to shrink more and more, and how I began to be really imprisoned by my own fears, and how I began to be shut in. And here was God who had this abundant life and had all this that he wanted Jeff to experience, and instead of my life being this big with God, it was this big. And that's why God says, I don't want you to ever live life with fear. Because fear is going to shut your life in. And you're not going to experience all that I have for you. All that I want you to do. So I just want to throw that out there. Because there may be even one other person here tonight. That the reason maybe why you're struggling right now with following something that God wants you to do. Or or you're wrestling with God about that. is, Is because of fear. And, and you and I have to realize we've got to come to that moment where, again, going back to even Sunday's message, God has our best interest at heart. He always has the most perfect plan for us. And if we allow our fears to drive us rather than our faith in God, we're going to miss out on this wonderful, abundant life that God has for us that we end up imprisoning ourselves and closing ourselves in and shutting ourselves much more tightly in. And that's exactly what was happening in the city of Jericho. So Jericho was shut tightly because of the Israelites. No one was allowed to leave or enter. Verse 2, the Lord told Joshua, See, I am about to defeat Jericho for you along with its king and its warriors. 
Very interesting. The word defeat also has the meaning of entrust. And so don't miss the principle that really runs throughout the Bible. That God was now going to entrust this land to the Israelites. And that's why he's calling them to be faithful. That's why they, we, they spent, in a sense, five chapters in preparation for this moment. Which, that's a key principle too. You and I need to go through the preparation, the training of God, so that we will be ready to, when, the, when the Jerichos are in front of us. And where we have grown to be able to trust God in, in greater ways in our life. But God wants to grow us so that he can entrust us with more. So that he can give us more responsibility. And, and that's, the way, that's why God wants us to spiritually grow and mature. Because he's always got more out there for us. Again, that's what the whole book of Joshua is about. Going after more. More of God. More of, of what God has for our life. There's always more territory to gain with God. And, and part of that is knowing that God wants to entrust it to me. And, and here's why this principle runs throughout Scripture. Because we know even from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation that when God entrusts something to someone and they're not faithful, God then will take it away from those who are not faithful and then entrust it to somebody else. That's the way God is. I'll give this to you, but you better be faithful with it. And that's why Jesus even said, if we're faithful in the little things, God will give us more. And so we've got to be faithful in what God has given us. And if we just concentrate on being faithful in what God gives us, we don't have to worry about trying to make more for ourselves. God will give us more. We don't have to worry about promoting ourselves or making sure that other people... God will notice and he will give us more. One of the things, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the things in the book of Daniel that the book of Daniel teaches is God is the one who sets up kings and takes down kings, rulers, leaders. So God is the one who puts people in authority, takes them out of authority. And God is saying to the Israelites here, I gave this land to you. I'm entrusting this to you. And you had to wander around for 40 years and that whole generation had to die off, but you are prepared now. Go in, seize this opportunity and be faithful. The other thing I wanted to point out, I, I don't like to get quite this technical. You guys know I, I do like the original languages, but I usually don't get quite this technical, but it's, a, it's an important point that the phrase about to defeat uh, there in verse 2 in my translation is in the Hebrew, it's called a prophetic perfect. And it simply means this. It is describing a future event as if it already happened. That's what a prophetic perfect in that language means. In other words, God is saying, I'm about to defeat Jericho, but from God's perspective, it's already happened. It's not like God's up there going, I think I can beat these guys. I'm not sure how the battle's going to go. So guys, hang, no. From God's perspective, Jericho has already been defeated. It, the walls are already down. There's no question from God's perspective. God wants us to live, in a sense, from that perspective as well. Instead of, instead of fighting for victory, as Christians, we should be, in a sense, fighting from 
victory because the victory for us was already won at the resurrection of Christ and on the cross of Christ through the gospel, that that Jesus Christ paid it all, it's all been won. We then have to just trust in the victory that Christ already has secured for us and wants us to have. That's why we can go through life and adopt the perspective that whatever opposition, whatever obstacle is in my way from going further with God, I know God can take it away and wants to take it away. I've told people, in fact, I had a conversation with a gal on the phone this past week who called me up because she heard that uh, anytime you're struggling with anxiety, call Jeff. He can help. Somehow I think that gets people more anxious. But anyway, one of the things that, that, that I, you know, shared with her was the fact that I came to the realization that I had to keep telling myself that Jesus came to give me abundant life. And yet I knew... I wasn't living abundant life. And I had to then keep telling myself that this isn't a a situation in a Christian's life where you're not knowing how to pray or what to pray for and what's God's will. The Bible clearly says it's God's will that his children experience abundant life. So because I knew that was God's will, then I knew that God would help me to overcome my fear and anxiety. Because I knew God did not want me to live the rest of my life in that condition. And any of us as Christians, anything that we're struggling with, any, again, kind of, of struggle or opposition or obstacle that we're dealing with, we can approach it from that perspective. Then, in a sense, from God's perspective, it's already been defeated. It's already gone. All we have to do, like the Israelites, is go ahead and rest in the victory that God truly wants to provide for us. And that's what he's saying to Joshua. He's saying, Joshua, these walls have already come down. You just follow me, and it's already happened from my perspective. So, the Bible says, uh, verse 3, Have all the warriors march around the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the horns. And when you hear the signal from the ram's horn, have the whole army give a loud battle cry. Then the city wall will collapse and the warriors should charge straight ahead. One of the things that sticks out there is the idea that they marched around the city. And even though Jericho was a very formidable city, even walled cities in those days and that time in history weren't that big. So you figure, you have a million and a half to two million Israelites. By the time the first people in line got all the way around the city, the last people were coming. And literally, they enveloped, they completely surrounded the city of Jericho. There was no break. They had enough people to completely surround the city as they went around the city. And the interesting thing is that word, those words march around also in the Hebrew mean to be transformed. And to me, it's that picture of when we allow ourselves to be surrounded or enveloped by God and by his word and by his will, this is how he transforms us. And you can imagine then the transformation that was taking place both in the Israelites' hearts and I'm sure in the hearts of those within Jericho, within those walls, as those people marched around that mass, marched around that city six days, six times. But I also see this. Obviously, the number seven, as you read those verses, stick out to me. And seven is significant. 
Because seven in the Bible is a number that marks completion or perfection. And it reminds us that God's plan, no matter how foolish it may seem to us, is always perfect and cannot be improved upon by man. Now again, to us, you want me to do what, God? You want me to march around the city once every day for six days? You know, no big military strategy here? You know, you don't want us to like build catapults and catapult over the walls or something, you know, real dramatic. No, I just want you to march around the city once a day for six days. And then the seventh day, we'll march around seven times and then blow the horns and the walls will come down. Doesn't seem like a great military plan, right? But it was the plan that God wanted his people to follow. And so, again, the number seven throughout the Bible is simply reminding us that God's plan cannot be improved upon. Whatever God comes up with is good, and there's nothing that we can add to it. Now, again, I don't know if you're like this, but in in my life, there's been times where I, I knew what God's plan was, but I thought I could sort of help him out a little bit, you know. God, I I know you you want to do it this way, but how about if we do this too? And I learned the hard lessons, and I realized that, no, you know what? God's plan always is the best plan and cannot be improved upon. Verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and instructed them, pick up the Ark of the Covenant, again, symbolizing the, the very presence of God amongst his people, And seven priests must carry seven ram's horns in front of the ark of the Lord. The other significant thing here is the use of these ram's horns. And the reason why that is significant is because it reminds us of the spiritual priority to this whole thing. Remember, this isn't primarily a military thing going on here. There's no arrows being shot. There's no, you know, anything like that. This is, this is a spiritual exercise. And, and the ram's horns were primarily used in Israel to call the Lord's people to worship. And so the fact that God wants to use these ram's horns is reminding the, his own people. Again, not by might, not by power, but my, my spirit, says the Lord. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, They're not through the flesh to pull down strongholds. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And they are spiritual weapons, not physical weapons. And the reason why these walls were going to come down was because the people had faith in God. It was because they were where they should be spiritually. It had nothing to do with their military might. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. The psalmist says, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. It had nothing to do with the military. It had nothing to do with their physical prowess or anything like that. It had everything to do with where they were spiritually with God. And the ram's horns were very significant. Because this was an act of worship as much as anything, you see. So when Joshua, verse 8, gave the army its orders... The seven priests, carrying the seven ram's horns before the Lord, moved ahead and blew the horns as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed behind. Armed troops marched ahead of the priests, blowing the horns, while the rear guard followed along behind the Ark, blowing ram's horns. And Joshua had instructed the army, Do not give a battle cry or raise your voices. One of the hardest things for a human being to do. Say nothing until the day I tell you. Then give the battle cry. 
then, but not until. So think about this. A million and a half to two million Israelites walking for six days around the city in total silence. Why? Why did God ask his people to be totally silent for really almost all of even seven days? Because until the seventh time around on the seventh day, they still weren't supposed to say anything. And then the seventh time around, they were supposed to give a great battle cry. I believe the priority of silence is for this reason. Throughout the Bible... This whole concept of silence teaches us to quiet our hearts before God and rest quietly in Him as we think of Him in the midst of our trials, in the midst of overcoming obstacles and opposition to going further with Him. In fact, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 62 for just a moment because this psalm really emphasizes this as well. It teaches us to be still, to be silent, to wait patiently on our God alone rather than try to find quick solutions to our problems in life. Psalm 62 is one of my favorite psalms. And here's just the first eight verses. For God alone I patiently wait. Now again, in the Hebrew, that phrase means to rest in silence and stillness. And you're going to see this phrase throughout Psalm 62. That's exactly why I believe God wanted the people of Israel to be silent and say nothing. Because he wanted them to learn to rest in him and to be silent and still. You see, see, the opposite of that or the contrast of that is when we're all worked up, both inside and outward. When we're agitated. It's the idea, the contrast, that is when we're, we're going all over the place and we're in motion constantly because we're all churned up. And the Bible teaches us that God wants to get us to a place where we have such faith and confidence in Him, even when we're facing the Jerichos, the walled cities of our life, that we can be quiet. There's something important about learning to just be still and quiet at certain times of our life and rest in God rather than just going, you know. Because when we get upset and when we get anxious, what do we want to do? I got to talk to somebody. I mean, I, I, I know what that's like. You know, I got to talk. And God is saying, I know there's times for that, but I want you to learn to grow to the point where you can just be still and where your stomach's not doing all kinds of flip-flops and where your mind's not just going 100 miles an hour, where you can learn to be still in silence and rest in me. For God alone I patiently wait. He is the one who delivers me, who helps, who gives me victory. Notice, He alone, and this is emphatic, He alone is my protector. In your translation, it may say rock, and that simply is a word that meant to be secure. He's my security. You see, because in the, in the ancient times, when they would climb up into the mountains and those rocks, there would be crevices. That's why when you read the Psalms, you, you read about the fact that God is our rock and we can go into those, those crevices within the mountain. And in a sense, He's our hiding place and we can hide there and we can be secure from all the forces that assail us. 
This is what the psalmist is saying. He is my refuge, my stronghold, literally my inaccessible high place. Nobody can get to me when I place myself within God. Even though there are people who are trying to get me, there are thoughts running through my head that just are simply destructive. There's all kinds of things that when I rest in stillness and silence in God, He's my high place. He's my stronghold. I will not be upended. Literally, again, looking at the mountain climber, I literally will not lose my footing and slip. Then he turns in verse 3 and 4 to those who were obviously troubling him. How long will you threaten a man? All of you are murderers, as dangerous as a leaning wall or an unstable fence. He's reminding us that the people who were after him and the people who were once his friends and all of that, they were unreliable, but God is never unreliable. In fact, down in verse 9, he says, men are nothing but a mere breath. Human beings are unreliable. The psalmist says, I found that out by experience, but I never found God unreliable. Verse 5. Or verse 4, they spend all their time planning how to bring him down. They love to use deceit. They pronounce blessings with their mouths, but inwardly they utter curses. Verse 5, notice again, patiently wait for God alone. Be still, not shaken, rest in God alone. This is why God was asking his people, I'm not going to put the walls of Jericho down the very first day you walk around it. You're going to have to do that seven days. And you're going to have to be silent while you do it because I'm taking you through some spiritual training. I'm taking you through a spiritual exercise. I want to teach you to patiently wait on me. I will bring the victory. You need to learn to rest and be still and silent in me and with me as I work. And God wants the same thing today. Patiently wait for God alone, my soul, for he is the one who gives me confidence. He is the foundation of my hope and expectation. He is the one that I put the outcome of everything in his hands, not mine. He alone, verse 6, is my protector, my security, and deliverer. He will be with me and see me through to the very end. He is my refuge. I will not be upended. God delivers me or rescues me and exalts me. Now that word there simply means he provides an abundance of support. The reason why the word exalted is used there in a translation is because it's a picture of God being so supportive underneath of us that we are lifted up. But the only reason we're lifted up is because God is underneath of us, girding us up, supporting us in every way possible. God is my strong protector, my strength and power, and my shelter. We sang about that tonight. My refuge. So here's what you and I need to do. Trust in him 50% of the time. Now that's not what the Bible says. Trust in him all the time. All the time. Place your confidence in him with each and everything. And then the next phrase, pour out your hearts before him. Literally, my translation or paraphrase, spill your guts to God. That's pour out your hearts. And and the word pour also has another meaning. It means to cast or shed something. Which again reminded me of 1 Peter 5, 7 when Peter says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. God doesn't want us to be carrying around these weights that he never intended for us to carry, these burdens. 
And so God is saying, instead of my child carrying that around anymore, take that, shed it, cast it on me. Pour out your heart on me. Take whatever is dragging you down and preventing you from climbing because you've got too much weight. Going back to Hebrews 12, lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily beset us and cast that off and shed it off and pour out your hearts to God. I don't know about you, but one of the tremendous blessings of being a child of God is knowing that you and I can spill our guts to God anytime, anywhere, about anything. And then I love this. He ends with verse 8. God is our shelter, our refuge. And in your Bible, you will probably have a word that you'll see throughout the Psalms. The word is selah, S-E-L-A-H. There's much debate about what this word means. I will just share with you, in all my years of studying the Psalms and in studying this word out, I have come to the conclusion for me that it means to stop and think about it. It was used as a pause, sort of like when you speak, there's the use of the pregnant pause. Well, these were songs that were to be done with musical accompaniment. And so, in a sense, it's also a direction to the music leader, to the worship director, to stop at this moment and pause and let what all has been said sort of sink in for a moment. What a great psalm. And this psalm, especially these eight verses, really go along with the whole silent thing that's happening in the book of Joshua as they go around the city. Well... Time is running out. Let's get back so we can see this city go flat. (laughs) So the Bible says in verse 12, Bright and early the next morning, Joshua had the priest pick up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven ram's horns before the ark of the Lord marched along, blowing their horns. Armed troops marched ahead of them, while the rear guard followed along behind the ark of the Lord, blowing ram's horns. They marched around the city one time on the second day, then returned to the camp. And they did this six days in all. Now, a couple of things. As I studied this, one of the things that I realized, that I hadn't realized before, was that I believe that Joshua did not unfold the entire plan to the people of God up front. He did so day by day. He gave them just the instructions they needed for that day, sent them out, had them go around. They came back, and then the next day they would get up and he'd say, now we're going to do this again. And we're going to do this. And it's the idea, again, that sort of that, that thing of God wants us to come to him daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And even Joshua, though, though the Lord told Joshua the whole plan, he did not unfold the whole plan to the people of God. He just gave it to him piecemeal, one day at a time. That's the way God wants us to come to him, to rely on him every day for what we need for that day. And the other thing I see here is obedient repetition. Notice again at the end of verse 14, they did this six days and all, the same thing, every day, over and over. And it reminds us, and it ties in with what we're talking about on Sunday morning, about that spiritual training, and about just being consistent, and about just being faithful. And there are many days, even as Christians, where it's just like, I'm just going through the same repetition, I'm just going through the same thing. But there's something about obedient repetition that builds character and that molds character and builds healthy, godly habits into our life. And that's what God wants to see. Obedient repetition. Because when you and I repeat something over and over again, that's when we really get it. And I believe that's another reason why God said, I'm not going to knock these walls down the very first day you go around it. You're going to have to go around that wall or that city 
six times with nothing happening. Then on the seventh day, as you have patiently waited on the Lord and rested in him and been silent and still with him, then you're going to see those walls come down. Again, our hard, the hard thing for us is we want instantaneous. We want the walls to come down right away. And, and there's a reason why God puts us through that spiritual training and stuff. Because in the process of those walls coming down, and they will come down, God has to and wants to teach us some things in that process that he couldn't do otherwise. And that's why he chose, in his wisdom, not to knock the walls down the very first day they went around the city, but to wait for the seventh day. So you go through the whole rest of it. You come down to verse 20. The ram's horn sounded, and when the army heard the signal, they gave a loud battle cry. The wall collapsed, and the warriors charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. Something that we must never forget. God can bring the walls down. I I don't know whether they're walls that's keeping you from something, or whether there are walls in your life that's keeping you confined and shut in. But, but however you're looking at the wall, God can bring those walls down. If you and I don't get anything else from the whole city of Jericho, remember the fact that God wants to bring those walls down in your life. And have you and I experience all that he has for us. Not just some, but all of what he has for us. The other thing is this. In the Hebrew, it's even more clear than in the English. But the idea is that when the walls came down, they came down all around the city. In other words, there wasn't just one or two breaches for the Israelites to go through. The whole wall, both walls around the city completely collapsed except for the portion of the wall that Rahab lived in. That was the only part of all the walls of Jericho that did not collapse. Which brings me to my final point. In these final verses, we see some marvelous facts about how God deals with people. And the first thing we see is that the promises to Rahab were kept. She and her family were delivered. Notice verse 22. Joshua told the two men who had spied on the land, Enter the prostitute's house and bring out the woman and all who belong to her as you promised her. God keeps his promises to us. And God wants us to keep our promises to others. God wants our yes to be yes, our no to be no. He wants us to be people of our word. Second, they demonstrate God's grace and mercy. God's love and plan of salvation is open to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. I'm usually not too emotional. My, my family will attest to that. But as I was preparing for this, this last couple of weeks, every time I read these words, I got choked up for some reason when Joshua says, enter the prostitute's house. It's like, yeah, God saves prostitutes. God saves anybody. 
There's nobody, again, outside the grace and mercy of God. And again, we've went through Rahab and being included in Hebrews 11 and being in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 1 and all that, just again, magnifying her like us as a trophy of God's grace. But it's just a reminder to all of us. We come to God by His grace. None of us deserve it. We don't work for it. And just like Rahab, no matter what we've done, no matter how bad we've been, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how far away from God we've gotten, God's grace and mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ can cover it all. God went into the prostitute's house and saved that whole family. And then third, In keeping with his faithfulness to keep his promises and his word, Joshua in verse 26 gives a prophecy that demonstrates the surety of his word. After the whole city has been destroyed, Joshua says in verse 26, at that time Joshua made this solemn declaration. The man who attempts to rebuild the city of Jericho will stand condemned before the Lord. And I believe he said that because this is what God revealed to Joshua to say. He will lose his firstborn son when he lays its foundations and his youngest son when he erects its gates. I want you quickly, because we just have one minute, turn through the book of Joshua through the book of Judges, through First and Second Samuel, and go quickly to First Kings chapter 16. First Kings chapter 16. I want you to see that this prophecy was actually fulfilled in the days of Ahab. And what it reminds us of is God is not mocked. When God says something, when He says something, whatever His word is, Man can disregard it if they want to, but every time man disregards the word of God, there will be consequences. So notice, 1 Kings 16.34, during Ahab's reign, Hiel, the Bethelite, rebuilt Jericho. Abiram, his firstborn son, died when he laid the foundation And Segub, his youngest son, died when he erected its gates, notice, just as the Lord had warned through Joshua, son of Nun. God is not mocked. People can thumb their nose at God's word, but God's word is true. And that's the whole reason why we can trust in it, and why we can rest in it, and why we can... Put all of our confidence in it because it is true and his promises are true and he will never renege on any of his promises. In closing, I also think the reason why this prophecy was given is because God wanted to remind all of us that he is a God who wants to bring into our lives what I call sustainable victory. In other words, If through God's power, Jericho would have been flattened, and at some point Jericho would have been rebuilt, it would have been a picture, like in our lives, of something that we got victory over for a time, but then it came back and it took over our lives again. And obviously, if your life's like my life, that's happened where I either gave something to God for a while and then took it back, or or God through His power allowed me to gain victory or overcome or prevail over something for a time, but then it came back and it, and it 
took a hold of my life again. And, and this whole idea of Jericho not being rebuilt is that God wants to teach us that when I give you victory, I want to give you sustainable victory. I want to give you a victory that lasts. I want to give you such a complete victory that whatever had a hold of you at one time has no more hold of you ever again. And I just share this, not out of anything that Jeff Royce has ever done or anything at all, but as a testimony to our God. And this is not to say that Jeff Royce better not keep trusting in God or else it will come back. But I can honestly say that for years now, God has truly delivered me and given me a sustainable victory over my fear and anxiety. And I praise God for it. It has not come back. And I say that because I want all of you to be encouraged that maybe you're struggling with something right now that like I was, that that you begin to tell yourself, I'm never going to get on top of this. This thing is going to haunt me all my life. I'm going to struggle with this. This is just the way I am. And on and on and on. The things that we tell ourselves. And I'm telling you, out of the Word of God and out of my own experience with God, that that is not true. That is a lie from the devil. That God is able to bring any wall in my life down. He is able to give me victory. He is able to overcome any obstacle and opposition against my walk with Him. And whatever you and I are struggling with, once He gives us the victory, He doesn't just want to give us the victory for a week or a month or a year. He wants us to have a sustainable victory to where we overcome that for good and never look back and keep on moving forward with Him. That's the life God wants to give his children. And that's what we learn from the walls coming down in Jericho thousands of years ago, Joshua chapter 6. Guys, I've enjoyed this study of Joshua. I hope you have. Again, next week, the book of Daniel. I'm just going to say this. A lot of people look at the book of Daniel as just a prophetic book. But I look at it more, much more from a practical side than a prophetic side. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about prophecy, and that's stuff that a lot of people are interested in. But here's how I would like you, if you're going out and maybe inviting people to come, here's really what the book of Daniel is about. What do we do when our life falls apart? How do we navigate that? Because the book of Daniel starts out with these young men being ripped from their families, from all that was familiar from everything that they knew and being taken in exile to a foreign country, dumped there and go, there. Now what do we do? And that's what the book of Daniel is about. How did these young men live their lives for God whenever their world was completely turned upside down and everything that they ever knew up to that point totally changed for the rest of their lives? What do we do when life Throws us a curve. What do we do when the bottom falls out? We're going to start to talk about that next week. I'm really excited about this study. Daniel's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I hope you'll be here with me through this journey on Tuesday night. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for your word. God, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 62, help us, God. To be reminded that you are our refuge. You're our shelter. You're our rock. Alone. There is no other. 
And you are absolutely sufficient. We don't need anything or anyone else but you. And God, help us to grow to the point where we patiently wait. That that we are able, no matter what's going on around us, whatever is assailing us, whatever pressures are coming, that God, we learn to rest in stillness and silence in you and on you and on your word, no matter what. God, thank you for being all that we ever will need. Help us to trust in you at all times. And help us to learn to just pour our hearts out to you. And realize that there is no other security, stability, safety in our lives. But God, and yet, you're all that we need. You're all, you're all that we'll ever need. And God, help us to get that message out to a world that's looking for security and stability and safety and so many other things. And yet, God, the only place they'll ever really find it is in you. May even us here tonight be able to go home tonight and be able to rest in you. Not just to get a good night's sleep, but literally just to lay down tonight and be able to close our eyes and lay our heads on that pillow tonight and just rest in you no matter what's going on. God, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. Have a great rest of the week. See you on Sunday.